0: Welcome, we welcome. are fully into the new year. Yeah. January is
1: like um, 10 weeks long. I don't understand, but okay. I feel like
0: sometimes that feels like how it is. And then we all of a sudden jump to like March and April and we're like, wait, where did February go? Because like February is mean, short. So this is accurate.
1: This is accurate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we're so excited for our topic today. We're going to get a little deeper. I mean, we, you know, you all know that we like to get deep, but, um, We really feel like it's important to talk about some sometimes tough topics, sometimes really important topics. I mean, we're in the year 2023 now, and it's important for us to be talking about some of these issues with when we talk about education, it's not just about disability rights. It's not just about race, religion. There's a lot more going on, and we really are excited for our guests today to dive deeper. Yes.
1: So we have Dr. P. Rayesh with us, Dr. BB. but I gave it a go. Can you please introduce yourself to our audience and kind of give a little bit of your background?
2: Sure. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, I think the work that you do is incredible. So I'm so grateful to be here. I work as an educational therapist. So I work primarily in the Los Angeles, sort of West Los Angeles area. And I do a lot of work around actual, you know, one-on-one remediation work with children and then, you know, helping families navigate the school system, you know, once you get the diagnosis. And then the other part of my work is a lot of advocacy work because I sort of believe in this idea that learning disability is a social justice issue. And that's not really something that we recognize or talk about enough. It's something that I came to kind of in a, maybe a different way than other people. So it's something that I, you know, it's my dissertation was around it. It's something that I've been thinking and reflecting on for quite some time.
1: I mean, I think it's hard to be an educational therapist without being an advocate. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think it's difficult for a lot of people that come into it. And like Amanda has always said, you know, she wanted to be a special education teacher and then kind of got in it and was like, Oh, I think I'd be fired like if I was there because I'd be advocating too much. But tell us a little bit. About the structure with which you see education and how children with different learning unique needs are being discriminated
2: against. So, you know, let me start maybe by just kind of talking about the word advocacy itself, Mm. because I think one of the things that really shifted for me was that, you know, I've been in practice for about 15 years. For the first half of my practice, I was just, you know, very focused on this idea of advocating for the child. Essentially, what I would do, like what many of us do, is to go to the system and try to ask them to allow this child in, mm. in some way and then to support that child and to help that child in order for them to fit into the system. And that's right. what I kind of considered advocacy. And then there was, you know, kind of a, a big shift in my thinking where I really came to realize that. Advocacy isn't about fixing the child or begging the system to let them fit in. Mm. It's actually about you have to advocate for changing the system itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I really came to recognize that the problem wasn't in the child. It wasn't in the brain and the body of the child. The problem was in kind of the setup of the system. Mm -hmm. So nowadays, when I'm in an IEP meeting or doing kind of any advocacy work, I really try to ask questions of the people who are in that room. And I really try to get them to think about the ways in which they're contributing to this child's difficulties, as opposed to beginning with the assumption, which is what we normally do, beginning with the assumption that the systems that we have in place are the way that human beings work. This child just happens to fall outside of that and, you know, Mm -hmm. how we deal with it. So it's a small, but really, really important
1: Shift. Oh, I think it's massive. <laughs> I think it is something that, you know, a lot of parents probably feel but are not able to articulate. And no. I think you did a really good job of being able to articulate and really come from a place where the focus is the child. But more importantly, what those adults in the room, I love how you said it, um, how are they contributing to the child's challenges? Like that, just like, shit is like amazing.
0: I think you brought up a great point when you first reached out to us about, you know, is the way the law was set up kind of even making this more difficult? Because as we all know, the special education laws, the Individuals Disability Education Act is rooted in focusing on the child and individualized needs. But I think, and that idea I think is really important, but in that nobody is thinking about the global structure. Nobody is thinking about the holistic ways that we teach children as a whole, because we're constantly at the battle of, you know, this child, this individual need of this child is the focus of the law. And that's kind of, I think how teams go down this rabbit hole of not thinking, how can we make a better system as a whole? And I think it's a really unique perspective that, yeah, does the law having it that way, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, right? There's benefits to having it individualized, but does that kind of get in the way of us looking at the bigger picture?
2: I actually think, you know, as someone who obviously believes in individualizing, I think that even that word, even that concept is part of the problem (laughs) because, you know, with all of the things that we're looking at, so, you know, whether it's the laws that we have, the schools that we have, the individual experiences of the children, I think what's really important and, you know, maybe this is because I'm Iranian American and so I just naturally come from a politically attuned Background and mindset, because I grew up in a country where ideology was so kind of front and center in your everyday life. And one of the things that I think we do in the U.S. is we try to pretend like we're not led by ideology. We try to pretend like you know we're, we're very like we're this democratic, scientific based culture where things are neutral. And, you know, that's sort of one of the big, big messages of science is this concept of neutrality, which is why we think that, you know, the science that we put forth where we say this is a typical, a neurotypical child, and this is an atypical child is that's just the way that human beings are. That's the way it is. But, When you look just a little bit deeper, not even too much deeper, but a little bit deeper, you really do begin to realize that, no, ideology is a huge, huge component of this. And so all of the systems that we have in place from, you know, our judicial system and laws to the way that our schools are are built and function, all of this is basically fueled by ideology, but it's an ideology that we're unaware of. And you know, it's essentially an empirical ideology in many ways, but we trust that ideology. We just automatically assume, like, if something is is research-based or scientific-based, then it's good, you know, it's safe. And I say this, you know, very carefully because I, I know that we're living in a time where science is under attack, so that's not my point. But I think one really important thing to realize is that empiricism itself is ideologically driven and that that ideology is actually quite a hierarchical, and I think in some ways you could argue white supremacist, because it is it's a system that was born from this concept of man over nature. I mean, right. that's what Western sciences. Mm-hmm. And that trickles down into everything that, you know, all the systems that we have, which are a reflection of that kind of thinking. So then we our laws essentially become about, okay, well, man knows best and this is how we're doing it. You know, sometimes nature messes up and, you know, some people don't come out the way that they're supposed to. So, you know, we'll just deal with them accordingly. And mm-hmm. that's really the mm-hmm. problematic lens that is going to always prevent us from being able to create truly equitable spaces because sort of the framework is wrong from the start because right. man is not over- nature.
1: (laughs) And special education, even only being very new per se, you know, it's been around since the seventies, Yeah. which, okay, wow. Like we just got there in the seventies and it's not even enough. Right. And, and I think, you know, what you say really resonates with us. Something that I've always been super interested in. We'll do research on every couple of years is the school to prison pipeline. I don't think that you have that saying, I don't think you have that phenomena if it wasn't rooted in white supremacy, you know what I'm saying? Like it exists because of white supremacy, right? The structure. And and I think that's where you're coming from is if you just put your critical thinking hat on and say, who created these IQ tests, who created, you know, these, you know, sort of things that we use in order to label, 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 you know, the kiddos, because that's essentially what we do, right? And typically, it was a white male, you know, I don't foresee it being, you know, anybody else. And it's been like that for a long time.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you know, I want to emphasize, like, to me, white supremacy is not about whiteness necessarily, Mm. not a a race related thing. It's a point, it's a lens, it's a point of view, Mm. it's an ideology. And, you know, exactly like you said, I mean, I think one of the really, really important things that every educator has to do is to have the willingness and and to put in the time to actually kind of go back and reflect Mm. on and in some sense interrogate their own education, because then how are you teaching kids critical thinking skills if you haven't done that about your own education mm. and you know there's a lot of conversations now where there's all these like culture wars around critical race theory and what are we teaching in schools and you know all of that but no one is really interrogating you know the methodologies that we use and the things that we sort of like take to be truth and you know, for a very small look into the history of education and into the history of psychology shows you that, yes, I mean, all of these things that we have in place were born from, you know, a white supremacist and also capitalist and also, you know, war-driven, you know, the greatest discoveries in science were a result of kind of different countries' being at war with each other and wanting to one-up each other. And yes, like you said, it's a very androcentric history. Um, It's a very sexist history. So it doesn't really take a lot of critical thinking to be able to see all that and to ask then, well, you know, how does this translate into the, the world that we're living in now? But unfortunately, that's not something that we teach in teacher training. It's not something that we teach in the programs that raise mental health or educate mental health professionals. But, you know, I think that they need to be because there's actually a great amount of literature, scholarship, and work out there you know, to help people understand some of these concepts and to contextualize themselves in their system. So, you know, one of the reasons that I think every educator and, you know, every mental health professional, for example, should be familiar with Paulo Freire's work is because he essentially says, look, you know, in order for you to be leading anybody else or in order for you to be guiding or helping anybody else you have to first have some sense of yourself. And that sense of yourself means you understand your own history, you understand your own positionality, and you understand the history and the ideology of the systems in which you exist. And, you know, to me, that's what being political means. It's sort of that consciousness. It's raising that political consciousness. And I think that's central to the work of any educator. But of course, you know, so much of our schooling is around don't make it political, don't make it political. Mm -hmm. Fights right now are about, but you can't not, I mean, if the purpose of education is to raise functioning citizens, how do you do that without allowing it to be political?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think we are seeing that more and more with so many topics being brought up about trying to ban certain books or ban certain theories and curriculums in schools. And we're seeing across the country now, like we now realize that the textbooks we had when we were growing up in the States is very one-sided in many cases, but then also just so different from California to Louisiana to Alabama And we're seeing that divide, like, even though we're aware of it now, it seems like it's only getting worse. Like we have families and we have politicians and people that are trying to like go even deeper. And we should be thinking about going the opposite direction, but we're not. And how are we expecting kids to learn to be critical thinkers and learn to do their own like research and look into things and not just accept one thing that they're being told if that's kind of what we're pushing or some people are pushing.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I always look at everything kind of from a bicultural lens because I spent the first 10 years of my life in Iran and then I immigrated to the U.S. I know it's, you know, to be honest, I never thought that we would ever have the types of discussions that we're having in the U.S. right now because I grew up in the 90s here, where everything was just sort of brushed under the rug so beautifully. So to me, even though it looks like it's horrible and we're going in the wrong direction and everything's becoming polarized, in some ways, I think it's a positive because I never thought that the American consciousness would be capable of having these discussions and questions around essentially, I mean, but the discussion is ideology. Right? You know, what is the ideology that is feeding our curriculum? And that's a really, really important question that we don't, we never thought about. Like you said, we we all Mm -hmm. just came up with a a particular history and textbook and assumed that that was the case. And now we're aware of the fact that the ideology matters, you know, it is worth the fights. So then, you know, that tells you that when you're an educator, if it matters so much that people are fighting about it like this, then you should be aware of it. You should understand it.
1: I don't think it's something that parents on top of everything else that they have really been able to, like I said, I think they feel it, but to be able to wake up, you know, and be able to do something about it seems like an additional kind of burden, right? That they've had to take up. What's something that you would want a parent to know, you know, that it's not necessarily a burden, that it is easy to kind of bring it up. Like I said, I really liked how you had said, you know, I like to go into the IEP meeting and ask about the people that are working with the kiddos, right? What are you doing to not make this kid's life better, right? And but that's probably not how it starts. But I think probably in the way that you ask questions, you start to kind of see that. Is that something that you think parents are able to do, or you just want parents to understand a little bit deeper what really is going on?
2: You know, I think that I completely understand about the overwhelm of parents, especially again, because we in a system where we don't really give a lot of free time for reflection and family. Mm -hmm. And And no support for a working family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, I think that most parents, and this is one of the reasons why I think learning disability can actually be a really unique, tangible way for people to even learn about concepts like social justice, Mm. because most parents are already doing it. Mm-hmm. Most parents are already in that fight for their mm-hmm. child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in maybe in so many other ways, they're not able to see, or maybe because of their, let's say, political beliefs, they refuse to see whatever mm. it is. When it comes to learning disability in schools, I think most parents, it's not a big jump for any of them to be like, oh, this system is not serving my child. Right. So it's, and they're already, in that fights, mm-hmm. so I would say the biggest thing is to to trust that, to trust that feeling that you know this is this does not align. It shouldn't be that you know, and this you know, going back to kind of what we were saying about special education law, the way that special education law is written very much places the burden on the parents. Mm-hmm. So if you are a parent who's educated and has resources and has money. You're gonna, and and this is what the history of the courts also show, you're gonna go in there, you're gonna fight for this, that, or the other. And if you don't, then you're just gonna get the the absolute bare minimum. So it is written in a way that puts the burden on the parent. Of course, that should not be the case. It should not be a burden that parents carry. Mm -hmm. But you know, they are and they do, and they're they're out there kind of fighting it already. So, you know, I, I think my big message would be to kind of, to slow down a little bit and acknowledge mm. that the fight that they're in is actually really, really important. Yeah, And to sort of recognize it as this is a system that is really designed to exclude, right? Mm. It's really designed mm. to other and to exclude. And so I should not be going in there saying only, include my child, include my child. I should also be going in there asking, Why are you being exclusionary? Mm -hmm. Recognize that you're being Mm -hmm. exclusionary. Of course, that's easier said than done. But, you know, again, it's about that sort of mental shift.
1: I mean, absolutely. And, you know, we know the players, we know the game, you know, that's us as pawns, right? In this grand scheme as attorneys, you know, and Amanda and I had made the decision, we need to be able to help parents because they help change the system. Because if you are just constantly in the fight, you have no time for anything else. And that's kind of how I see like the shift for Amanda and I after talking to you of like how, you know, to approach it, right? Because, you know, for quite some time you think, okay, you know, the law is the law and, it, you know, we need to help these parents so that they can help change the law and continue to have a reflection of their children or their person with unique needs to be part of that change, you know?
2: I like, you know, the fact is that that law, just like that curriculum and just like all the people who are in that room, Mm -hmm. all of this was written by neurotypical Mm -hmm. people and they're essentially enforcing it on someone that is not a part of that group. Right. And that's a big part of the issue. So we, Mm -hmm. you know, we, they didn't consult, you know, all the civil rights, you know, fights that we had and, you know, laws that resulted that we see Mm -hmm. as kind of like this big, huge thing. And it was, I'm not trying to say it wasn't. Right. But it, it's not something that was written by or centered the voices of mm-hmm. people with disabilities, or and it's one of the reasons that you know even today, even you know with something like Brown versus Board of Education, I mean even today we see that our schools are still very much segregated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that we wrote the law, but we didn't quite. We still managed to write it in a way that wasn't going to really change things. And special education is the same and it's big business. I mean, you know, people, there's a huge private economy around, well, education in general, but special education- Specifically, And, you know, it's not even that we don't, the public education system also gives a lot of funding to special education. And you would think that with all this money and all this research and all this understanding, we would be in a very different place than we are today. And, you know, yeah. my argument is that we're not because we don't really want to be.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I think not a lot of people don't want to be because we still have a problem in this country of people seeing disabilities as a negative and that people with disabilities are not human and not equal and not deserving of equal rights and equal protections. We say all the time that, you know, disability rights is should be and is trying to be, you know, this next civil rights frontier, this thing that we should be fighting more. But, you know, we have the stigmas and we have the perceptions and we have what everyone perceives. And it not being something that people think needs to be pushed forward. And I think that you're right. That is a big problem. And we don't have enough people pushing and certainly not enough parents even knowing, I mean, outside of what Mm -hmm. you said, the Mm -hmm. people who are wealthy who have the money to pay for an attorney and pay for related services and pay for all these sports that are out there, all these research-based interventions that are out there outside of those people, there's all the other parents that have no idea what is out there for them. They're just being told one thing from the Mm -hmm. schools Mm-hmm. And they feel like they have to
2: live with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, but I, I will just say this. And again, this is why I think it's, you know, ideology is kind of like, you know, we're all fish in water, but we don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. Because even when you and I work with a lot of families that have money and access and resources. and mm-hmm. all things, But even in, the, in those spaces, it's you're still fighting ableism every single step. Oh, again. absolutely. Right. Uh, so, you know, the having access to those things doesn't change, you know, the ableist nature, you know, that permeates through. Essentially, it's it's the way that we look at difference. I mean, that's... Oh, the- it's
1: us versus them, instead of all of us versus the issue, right? And, but who frames the issue? There's like several layers, <laughs> like, right. you and
2: know, I mean, yeah. Exactly. And this is why, you know, kind of coming back to this concept, because white supremacy to, you know, it's sort of about this, what is the ideal, you know, mm-hmm. what is the mm-hmm. norm? What are all the ways that, you know, we sort of fall outside or short of that? It's a very mm-hmm. hierarchical mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, what would be a more itinerant way of looking at it, which is there is no norm. Right. Everyone is, is right. different. So we, and the goal, especially if something like education has to be to kind of engage with all this diversity and difference, because that's really the stuff of life. So we're so anxious, you know, and I, and I think the entire scientific endeavor, when you look at the history of science is kind of anxious. It's this idea of like, how do I put nature in order? How mm-hmm. do I do this? So that, you know, I have some degree of control and predictability and, you know, uh, which I understand. I understand Mm -hmm. kind of the anxiety that is at the core of being a human being because you're living in a world in which you don't have real control and you can't really predict things, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's sort of developing a way of thinking that helps you make peace with that. Mm. Developing a way of thinking that tries to get you to eliminate that. And you can't eliminate that. There's no, you can't eliminate the human condition, like what it means to be human. Mm. You can take, you know, we've taken it to its end. We've developed every therapy, every drug, every, yeah. we get control over that anxiety, but it's not working. Obviously it's not working. We're more anxious now than ever, despite all of our, you know, modernity and scientific understanding. So I think, you know, as long as we don't recognize the roots, you know, and, and sort of, this is kind of the, ironically, this is what science would suggest and kind of what we do in our work. So when something's going on with a student, we really try to get to the root of what's going on with it. Right. That. We'll do the same thing with our systems. And we need to.
1: And I think that's where we end it because we need to have you back on. I, I We touched on so many different areas. Oh. <laughs>
2: No, no, really no. quick no. Way to Let me touch no. on
1: something. It's good. I, you know, I hope the listeners actually DM us, let us know on what else you want us to go deeper in because we really do want to go a little deeper with you. You know, we try to keep these episodes short because a lot of our listeners are parents or administrators and they're in between things, but we thoroughly enjoyed having you on today and we'd love to have you back and maybe we can kind of pick from some of the listeners suggestions on what we can go deeper into
2: yeah that would be great and i'm you know there is no answer i guess is what i'm I'm trying to say i think you know one of the things i think the most important thing that an educator or a scientist can do To create doubt, an opportunity for questioning and to to teach how to ask better questions. So if your listeners take nothing other than, you know, let me wonder about this. Maybe I need to ask myself some questions about the situation that I find myself in. I think that that's plenty. I think that's a big, big step. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on today. And like Vicki said, we'll definitely have you on in the future to to talk more. We could talk so much, but we'll be sure to include more information about you in our show notes. So please listeners, feel free to reach out and we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.